All right, good evening, everyone. I want to welcome, uh, we have a really nice crowd here, and we're, we have a growing, growing group of Misgard Kin members here. So tonight, uh, we have our founder, Narnian, of the Misgard Kinship here on Arkenstone, and Misgard will be the hosting kin tonight. So I am uh, I am Officer Maven, and uh, we are ready to get going, right, with our uh, Exploring Lord of the Rings class. We are. Still Still deeply entrenched in, in uh, Chapter 3, correct? Hey, we're almost done. We are totally, <laughs> absolutely finishing Chapter 3. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, I will, um, I, anybody else who would like to have an invitation to the Mythgard Kinship, just let me know, but that <laughs> is right. not a requirement. Not, not a requirement. requirement, no. And I will be back later when it comes time for the field trip, so take it away, Narnia. Cool, excellent. All right, thanks, everybody. Welcome, uh, welcome to week, what is it, 14, I think, of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Um, this has, uh, uh, this has been great fun. I would have guessed we'd be past chapter three by number 14, but that's fine. Uh, they're, they're <clears throat> honestly, I now feel when I go through and go, you know, like, I, like when I skip a paragraph, I feel, uh, wrong, basically, you know, it's interesting. So, uh, anyway, I'm having, uh, I'm having a great time. I'm uh, so glad you guys could all uh, uh, could all join me. Oh yes, exactly. See, I'm I'm wearing my I'm wearing my Gondorian uh, shirt here today. I'm wearing my T-shirt in celebration of the fact that it was uh, 95 today in New Hampshire. Uh, uh, after, of course, the week before last, uh, we got a foot of snow. So um, most of the snow melted today in the 90 degree heat. So that's uh, that's that's sort of the good news. Um, anyway, so excellent. Um, Two quick announcements before we uh, get started. Neither one of them brand new, but uh, things I did want to make sure I remind people of. First, um, as I've been announcing and will carry on announcing because the deadline is approaching for registration to Mythmoot. We've gotten a bunch of uh, uh, more reservations. We have over 90 people coming to Mythmoot so far this year, and we still have several weeks left of registration. Um, we're going to have to close registration in the first week of May, so uh, uh, time is running out. Uh, to register. Can't encourage you enough to come join us at Mythmoot. It is always such a good time, such a wonderful blend of uh, uh, scholarly intellectual stimulation and uh, good fan fun. So I am uh, I'm very excited uh, and I hope that you'll be able to join us down in Leesburg, Virginia uh, from June 1st through 4th. So uh, uh, I hope you guys will be able to, uh, to, to join us for that. Again, go to Signum, uh, signumuniversity.org and uh, and just scroll down one tiny bit, and you'll see there the uh, link to the Invoking Wonder-themed Mythmoot uh, for this year. The second announcement, or rather reminder, uh, is for our Hobbit Immersion Camp. And I was just noticing that uh, uh, Dime is here with us live tonight. Welcome, Dime. Dime, of course, is uh, our, our, our teacher for our, our Hobbit Immersion Camp, which we're really excited about. Um, so this, uh, in case you hadn't heard about it, is a free camp that we're running for middle school kids this summer. Um, we're doing it in, in conjunction and partnership with local libraries and really with any group. If, the, if you've got a homeschool co-op or, um, you know, a, a sort of like a, a summer camp slash sort of daycare for, for middle schoolers or whatever, you know, lots of, you know, any kind of group of, uh, of, of kids or coalition of families uh, that wants to, to do this, be happy to, to have any of them sign up. It's totally free, you know, so no charge at all to families. And uh, we're really happy to, 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 have this, to have this available. It's going to be uh, for two weeks, 
the second and third week of July, uh, so the week right after the 4th of July week, starting July 10th. Um, and uh, it's going to be really great. It's going to be really fun. So I encourage you to go if you are interested in seeing, you know, if you've got kids and would like to see, uh, you know, some kids in your community get together at the public library to have some awesome Hobbit themed fun. Uh, really, you know, I, have call, I call it Hobbit Immersion Camp, even though it sounds like, you're, you know, we're, we're like going to be dunking hobbits during this camp. Um, but, you know, you can do like summer uh, language immersion camps, right, where you just kind of, uh, uh, you know, like go to a go to like a Chinese immersion camp, right? And like just like where people speak Chinese to you for for two weeks, and and you really kind of get acclimated to the world and and develop the language right away. I love that kind of model, and basically this is that sort of flavor uh, for 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 Tolkien for Middle Earth. So you know if you want to uh, uh, have the opportunity this summer to. Uh, you know, to, to really immerse your middle school kids in Middle Earth for two weeks uh, and really dig into The Hobbit. Uh, it's going to be an awesome opportunity. So anyway, that's uh, that's going to be great fun. Um, so again, if, you, if you're interested in, if you have a group or involved in a group or uh, want to talk to your librarian about it, go to our website. Again, there's another little event tile for the Hobbit Immersion Camp, um, and you should be able to download from that page a copy of the flyer that you can bring to your library so you can explain what it's about, um, give them our email so they can get in touch with us, and we can uh, you know, give them... We have uh, a whole packet of information to send them that's as easy as we can possibly make it for libraries. All they have to do is provide a supervised space and somebody to... Uh, to uh, you know, to sort of help encourage the kids, we have the the whole sort of curriculum laid out, and we'll be doing the, the classes and stuff. So, um, anyway, uh, it's going to be it's going to be great fun. So, just wanted to remind you about that. And uh, uh, we've been getting uh, uh, signups from all over the country, uh, and uh, I'm really looking forward to to connecting with folks this summer. So, all right, we are going to um, we are going to finish chapter three today. And I say that fairly confidently, uh, because of course, all we have left from chapter three is the conversation between Sam and Gildor, um, which is a really important conversation. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting because we, you know, thinking, I mean, as, as I've mentioned before, I'm currently doing with my Mythgard Academy classes on Wednesday night, the return of the shadow, going through the, the early drafts of the Lord of the Rings and sort of watching the story, uh, unfold as Tolkien devised it, which has just been so fascinating. And the conversation with Gildor in the first draft was super important because the Ringwraith had just appeared, of course, earlier on in that same chapter. And with the appearance of the Black Rider, which Tolkien didn't know what it was, as he was kind of working out what that was, and the conversation with Gildor was really where Tolkien himself was kind of beginning to process, like, what exactly is going on? Who's after them and why? You know, and all that kind of thing. So, um, uh, so it's 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 it, it has sort of historically in the history of the Lord of the Rings a really important kind of place, and of course it's a really interesting moment thinking about it in the context of the story as the story is unfolding as we've been discussing it. Um, you know, we were emphasizing last time, and I, you know, I, I still think very rightly the importance of that experience of elvishness, right? That that encounter uh, with the elvish otherworld that we get even the fact that this sort of springs up and happens right inside their own shire, right? Um, the co- in the conversation with Gildor, we see Frodo, in some senses, kind of coping with this, right? Sort of dealing with uh, the whole situation. Um, and 
so we have him, you know, on the one hand, he's he, so he's having this kind of conversation, right, with Gildor that he's only really had before with Gandalf. Gandalf is the only sort of member of the wise that he's ever discussed any of these things with. He's had basically kind of two categories of people, or sort of three categories of people, right? There was Bilbo, right, who was his 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 mentor, his father figure, and then you had his his friends, right, who are all younger than he is. It's 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 important. Uh, that Frodo is the oldest of the of the hobbits, right? Of the you know of his hobbit companions by a fair bit, you know, by at least a decade. So he's, uh, um, you know, he has his sort of peers, but they're not exactly peers. They're kind of peers, right? But they're um, uh, but they're 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 younger than he. he's definitely the senior one of them, right? Uh, they're like junior colleagues, basically. Um, uh, uh, especially Pippin is more junior. Um, and then you have Bilbo, as I said, who's father figure and mentor, but then you have Gandalf, and Gandalf has been his only sort of ally among the wise, you know, that sort of advisor figure that he could go to. And so the, him meeting Gildor and being able, you know, here's a here's a, a, a lord of a high elven house, and, uh, um, and they're, uh, uh, you know, who is able to hopefully, you know, and here's Frodo alone without guidance, right? Gandalf, his advisor, hasn't shown up, right? And he has no idea where Gandalf is. Um, and uh, and so here seems to be this, you know, unique opportunity for him to be able to first try to make contact with another member of the Wise to, to sort of get some more advice. So that's sort of the, the, the framework and the context that we're getting, especially, again, as it comes at the end of this sort of magical evening uh, of, of, of Elvishness, which certainly has made a really big impression on... Uh, on Pippin and Sam, as we were looking at at the very end of uh, of class last time. So let's uh, let's carry on today. Uh, so I called today's class "Hobbits in the Wide World." Um, of course, this will come up in the conversation with Gilder, where they will um, uh, we're talking about sort of the relationship between hobbits and the wide world, right? And what we see. Uh, in today's class, at the end of chapter three and the beginning of chapter four, if we're so so rash as to get so far, uh, is them interacting with these other elements of the wide world right there in the Shire, right? Them thinking, uh, you know, the, the, the image in, in Frodo's head that he was just crossing the Shire that, you know, uh, remember in the conversation with Gandalf, he's like, it means going into exile, right? I will have to leave the Shire. It never occurred to him, like, I'll be lucky to get across the Shire, right? I mean, he always kind of thought that the the exile and the danger was going to begin, before, you know, after he crossed the border and went out, you know, left the Shire behind and went out into the wide world. And now here, the wide world has come in, um, and he's encountering it here. So, um, anyway, so that's that's uh, that's going to be our discussion today. Uh, let me uh, catch up on some questions. There were a whole bunch of really great questions and comments. Uh, I've got a couple of them here um, that I want to discuss, and... Um, then I want to, um, uh, I want to, there, there are a couple others that I'm going to refer to, but I'm going to try to remember to bring them up in the context of some of the other passages we're going to be discussing tonight, because I think they'll just sort of connect in naturally with those. Um, but two questions, actually, both from T. Thurston, who's such a wonderful question asker. Um, the morning after the fox encounter, uh, the three, uh, encounters the three hobbits, Frodo wakes quite sore, walking for pleasure. Why didn't I drive, he thought, as he usually did at the beginning of that expedition. I used to think that on previous expeditions he had started by driving. This time it occurred to me that he generally always walked, but at the beginning he regretted it and wished he had driven. 
I expect that an expedition would uh, uh, would be something on a much grander scale than a day hike or a multi-day jaunt through the Shire. I wonder what other expeditions Frodo had undertaken. Um, great question, uh, and that is a really neat line, uh, and one that we kind of skipped. So, I agree with you, uh, Thurston, that um, it's um, it's definitely the case that he, he generally walks but wishes he hadn't, right? You know, has at least this sort of passing desire to have driven instead uh, at the beginning of an expedition. It is clearly true that this is his customary reaction, which suggests that he uh, does this fairly regularly. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely done this before, but what counts as an expedition? Well, one thing, there are kind of two factors that I would encourage us to keep in mind here. Number one is he's obviously not left the Shire before, right? I mean, everything that we have learned about Frodo and his desires to, you know, to, to, to look at the, you know, when, when he's looking at the maps of the Shire and wondering what lay beyond their edges, right? He's never been beyond the edges of their maps. It seems almost certain the narrator would have mentioned that, right, if that had happened. So um, I, I think it's pretty clear. Frodo has never been outside the Shire, at least not, not further than Buckland and, and through the gate, apparently into the old forest at least once or twice, but... Anyway, uh, definitely, um, definitely in, uh, 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 you know, in the Shire area. So, okay, so if he's not been there, obviously, therefore, expeditions that he's been on have been within the Shire. The other thing that I would um, remind you of is the old map that was hanging in in the Hall of Bag End in The Hobbit, right, with all of Bilbo's favorite walks marked on them in red ink. I don't think that those are necessarily just, like, you know, half-hour walks or hour-long walks, like, through the adjacent fields. Um, because it's a map of the county round, right? It's a map of the Shire, like, that is, of that area. Um, and I think that many of these are probably multi, multi-day hikes. Um, so the multi-day jaunts, I, I think actually that would count as an expedition. If you were walking you know, as far as Buckland, right? Or if you were walking as far as Tuckborough, or if you were walking as far as the North Farthing, right? They, they, he probably has done that. Um, I mean, I think that that's, that's, that's very likely to have been something that Frodo has done before. And he and Bilbo used to go walking off together. Remember the context with the walking song that, that they were singing, right? Um, Bilbo's walking song. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that he has gone on expeditions, you know, a trip where he's going to be, you know, hiking uh, uh, and sort of sleeping rough. Um, it's not a common hobbit thing to do. We can tell that, right? We know that hobbits are not habitual travel travelers. You can tell from Ham Gamgee, right? Um, and, uh, uh, and, and Sam Gamgee, right? Never going more than 20 miles away from, uh, uh, from Hobbiton, right? And that seems to be normal. As we will see, Farmer Maggot, you know, that exotic character from Chapter 4 that we haven't met yet, is going to think that folk over in Hobbiton are as queer as the folk in Hobbiton think the people in, in, in Buckland, right? In other words, he's never been uh, as far as Hobbiton himself, right? And again, that's pretty normal, right? Pretty normal for the Hobbits to stay in one place and not travel any further than, like, the immediately neighboring towns. Um, therefore, uh for somebody to go on a multi-day walk, right, whichever direction he's going, whatever may be his purpose within the Shire, or the kind of walking adventure he was going on with Bilbo or without him, that would have been an expedition, 
right? Uh, clearly, would have been an expedition, and obviously something way beyond the ordinary. If expedition seems like a grandiose term, well, think what Ham Gamgee would say about it, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, going going as far again, going as far even as Buckland uh, would be really would be really strange. Um, so, um, yeah, exactly, JJ. Walking to Tuckborough uh, would uh, would take Bilbo or Frodo a little bit longer than the 30 seconds it takes in-game. It is, as I've said before, you know, on an earlier field trip, uh, the scale in-game is, is one of the only... It is one of the ways in which uh, uh, Lothar just, of course, utterly fails to represent the story, and really must. I mean, it, it can't possibly represent the scale of things. Uh, but yeah, so it does create this uh, t- this terrible illusion of the facility of travel, and it certainly makes staying within you know the twenty mile radius of Hobbiton uh, uh, much di- more difficult to imagine, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so there are some who travel, right? You know, Matt, exactly. Matt DeForest points out that there are those that go to the North Farthing for the hunting, right? Sam points that out. Uh, so, yeah, it's to- it's not totally unknown to travel to other parts of the Shire. Um, though, Matt, it seems, strikes me as a little bit interesting, right, that that travel, which Sam seems to assume is kind of normal, right, doesn't seem to suggest it's deviant or weird or anything, right? Um but it's not to see other hobbits, right? It's not to just like go visiting other communities. It's to go out into the, you know, to, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a private expedition, right? Up to, 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 to go hunt in the North Farthing. Um, so, um, anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do hobbits hunt? Well, we don't know exactly. Um, we know they're very good shots. Um, we know they use bows. Um, I would presume that bow hunting is primarily what they're doing. I can't imagine hobbits hunting like with hounds um uh maybe they do right uh but uh, the primary thing we know about them is that they're really good at uh at uh, uh, uh what games of the aiming and throwing variety as we're told in the hobbit right and they shoot bows very well so um i i i certainly do imagine that uh uh they would they would they would be bow hunting again i can't imagine they have a a pack of hounds uh that they're releasing on game you know like english fox hunting or something you know and and then pursuing um on horseback i guess that's possible but i i find that a little hard to imagine uh with hobbits but perhaps it's so um you know jj the maybe the tooks do wouldn't surprise me right wouldn't surprise me um a little hard for me to imagine that sam's relatives let me let me clarify a little hard for me to imagine that Sam's relatives uh, hunt that way. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They are good at throwing rocks, Bruinier. I'd be a little surprised if they go hunting with rocks, right? I mean, that would be pretty uh, uh, boss, actually, right? Just be like, I'm just going to go out. I'm just going to go I'm going to go walk into the woods with nothing, right? Then I'm going to stoop and pick up a stone and, you know, take out a pheasant in mid-flight or something because, you know... Who needs weapons when I can just chuck rocks at birds? Right, that'd be pretty. Uh, that'd be pretty high end. But I, uh, 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 you know, not really sure. Um. Okay. Uh. So anyway, let me uh, let me let me move on here. Um. Next one. Okay, here we go. 
Um, this is a long comment. I had to cut some out, but, uh, thinking about how, so first he starts off by thinking, uh, uh, reminding us about how, and I love the attention to the text that, uh, T. Thurston does in his questions here. Uh, he reminds us that when the, uh, when the hobbits get to the elf glade, right, with the, you know, up the hidden path, uh, to the elf glade, uh, they're very sleepy and Pippin indeed falls asleep, right? And, but then as certain stars appear, the elves all burst into song. Suddenly under the trees, a fire sprang up with a red light. At last report, the elves were sitting on the grass in the clearing and talking. Who gathered the wood for the fire or kindled it? And where does all the food, drink, torches, breads, cups, plates, berries, and apples come from? It wasn't likely brought by Gildor's company, traveling afoot. I thought elf travel food was lembus, at least for some elves. All the feasts seem to have appeared as if by magic, just at the time when the elves all burst into song. I think this elf camp above the village of Woodall is a magical place, and likely the village got its name because of its proximity to the spot. Gildar spoke of it as his company's destination for the night when they encountered the, th- the three hobbits. I don't think the same feast could have happened at some other random spot they passed before getting to this special place. Gildar later tells Frodo that he once said farewell to Bilbo at that very spot. It is interesting that this woodland feast is very reminiscent of Thorin's company's encounters with the elves of Mirkwood, where elvish woodland feasts seem to appear by magic and then are gone without a trace, leaving those who encounter them fast asleep. I completely agree. That is, I completely agree that there is magic going on, right? Um, and I do think... I think it's one of the implications, basically, of like what the Sam's comment about the apples, right? Um, Sam knows he's not going to ever grow apples like that, right? Um, it's not, this is not a testimony to the elves' superior horticulture, right? This is the, due to the fact that they're magic apples. Um, the food of elves is special. I mean, remember, it's one of the kind of guidelines, right? If you are walking in the woods and you stumble into a fairy ring, they're probably going to vanish, and they may or may not abduct you, right? We've been over that. But uh, if you do find yourself in fairy, uh, you should be careful about eating the food, right? Because sometimes that's a thing, right? I mean, the the, the, the food uh, that you find in fairy can very often be uh, magical, Right. And and you might not be able to leave. Right. It might make you fall asleep. There are any number of uh, kind of impacts that uh, that magic fairy food can have on you if you eat it. Um, And I think that this is magic food, too. Right. Now, they're the guests of the elves. The elves are not playing any tricks on them. They're not going to, you know, fall asleep for 100 years and 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 wake up, you know, um, or something like that. Um, But still, I, I, I agree. I think that this is I think that this is magic food. Um, and they're clearly not carrying it. Now, by the way, as for Lembus, um, they wouldn't necessarily have Lembus. You'll notice Elrond doesn't have Lembus. He doesn't, uh, um, he doesn't give Lembus to the party when they leave. He gives, he makes cordials, apparently, like the cordial of Imladris that he gives to them, that they drink on the mountain pass. Um, you know, that it would probably be winter again before we talk about that. But, uh, anyway, you know, that in the Ringo South, um, that's that's an Elrond thing, right? Um, you know, he, he's he's definitely he's definitely interested in that, um, but he doesn't make Lembus, and that's normal, I think, um, because as far as we can tell, 
when Lembus first comes up, you know, Lembus is first devised in the Silmarillion tradition. In fact, it's it's in it's in the development of the children of Hurin that uh, uh, Lembus is first suggested, um, and it's it's Lembus that uh, when Beleg brings Lembus to Turin when he's with the outlaws, right, and shares it with them. Um, it's a that's a really big deal, but it's a really big deal because that's where that's like where the the moment when Lembus is invented, and specifically in that story, it's very important that it is the uh, uh, it's 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 in the gift of the queen Melian, not Thingol. Melian gives him the Lembus, right, um, and Lembus is always in the gift of the queen. It's Galadriel who gives them Lembus. It's not Celeborn. Who gives them Lembus, right? Celeborn may be very wise and the giver of great gifts, but he doesn't give Lembus, right? Galadriel gives Lembus, just like Melian gave Lembus. Elrond doesn't give Lembus. That's, he's, he doesn't. He doesn't have that, right? Um, uh, it's a, it's definitely an elf queen thing. So uh, uh, so no, so they're they're unlikely uh, to have any Lembus, but they don't need it, right? They they can make now. As for its connection to this location. Uh, I mean, of course, we can't state it very certainly, but I, I'm, I'm certainly willing to agree there does seem to be something special about this place. Is this a magical place? I think if you ask Gildor that, right? You know, if, if you if if you if you sort of cornered Gildor and he was in a good frame, a good friendly frame of mind, and you were like, okay, is this a magic hall? Um, is it so full of elf magic that you can like you know whistle up a, a feast in this spot? that you couldn't do, you know, a mile down the road. I mean, I, I think, of course, Lembus, or Lembus, I think, of course, that Gildor would say something like, um, I don't know what you mean by that, right? You know, in what sense is it full of elf magic? Um, but this place seems to be special, right? Um, they, they, the elves, are wanting to keep the hobbits safe, right? Um, and they know they're weary, and they're going to get wearier, but they're going to make them walk, for a while, right? So they walk for several more hours, and then they uh, are falling asleep, right? But they, they, they don't rest until they get to that spot, right? And then when after they get to that spot, then they wait until the appropriate moment, right? And then they all burst into song. And the way it describes, as uh, as, as T. Thurston was quoting for us here, suddenly the uh, a fire sprang up with a red light. And that is very reminiscent of the elf fires springing up and vanishing in Mirkwood. Uh, in The Hobbit, I agree. And we were seeing feasts appearing and disappearing uh, in those places as well. So, um, yeah, Grim, I agree. He totally would laugh at you uh, if you if you said that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> Cecilia is objecting to my use of the word magic. I, I understand. See, this Tolkien struggled with this. Um, he really did. Um, because the word, like, defining magic and using the word magic... Um, what I'm saying is the hobbits would consider it magical, right? Um, but I don't think when we're asking the question, is it magic or is it not magic? I don't think that the answer, either answer is misleading, right? If we say they did it by magic, um, that conjures up an image which is not really true to elves as Tolkien describes them. 
because then we think of them casting a spell. Like I think I saw somebody uh, a while back when we first started talking about this, making an, uh, an allusion to the very similar uh, Dungeons and Dragons wizard spell, which conjures a feast, right? Uh, if that's the kind of thing that we have in our head when we're saying the elves summon them food by magic, that's misleading. It's not how elf magic works at all. It's a very serious misunderstanding of elf magic. However, if we say, oh, it's not magic, right? In the, like, there must be a natural, expo- you know, a rational explanation for this kind of sense, right? That is, if we, if we say, no, it's not magic, clearly they had some kind of storage system and they, there was food here, or like they sent a party on in advance who's been baking all day and getting everything ready for the party and they've just kind of caught up with them. That is to say, if we try to say it's, it's, it's all mundane, right? There's nothing abnormal about this, no more than like just the elves being like really good cooks and really good horticulturalists, right? And, uh, and that's why, that's how this all happens. I think that's misleading too. And of the two, frankly, I think that the second one is more, um, is more misleading of the two, honestly. Um, and again, Tolkien struggled with this. Whenever he talked about this, he gets really uncomfortable um, because he doesn't like to use the word magic because the word magic conjures up the idea... The, the, the word magic in our minds is fundamentally connected with the idea of a human being using some power in order to control nature, right? To make things do what he wants to do. Like, I, I am going to command the universe and it will obey me. Right. That's our that's just it tends to be how we think about magic. And that's not how it works with elves. But um, uh, but there weren't that many other words. Enchant. He does use the word enchantment. And, uh, you know, Wayalof is uh, 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 is suggesting this is an example of fairy and drama, a dream that some other mind, uh, you know, Gildor is dreaming for them. Yes, but of course it clearly does cross over into actual reality. Um, I mean, there's like still the leftover food and drink the next day, right? So it, it clearly was not just a dream of a feast that they had. Uh, a dream dinner. Remember uh, remember uh, Bomber, right? Talking about dream dinners. You know, dream dinners seemed like the best thing he was going to get. Uh, uh, so, you know, I mean, uh, way off, it's kind of interesting to think about that, right? With uh, It was literally a dream. You know, that, that's exactly what was happening to Bomber. And to Bilbo, briefly. Um, but um, anyway, so, you know, it's, it's, it's always tricky talking about, um, uh, talking about the, the, the magic of elves. Um, I feel comfortable um, with it. See, I, not, see, but Crystal, I'm not sure I can agree with you. Crystal was saying that uh, you know, the hobbits took a nap when they woke up, the elves had supper ready. But it's not like that right? Uh, the fires suddenly spring up. How? Gasoline, right? I mean, they, they, they just like, poof, it was dark, and then poof, there are big fires, right? Um, and they don't all sleep. Pippin falls asleep, but Frodo and Sam don't fall. They get sleepy, but they don't fall asleep. Um, and the elves, and as, as T. Thurston is pointing out, the elves are, the elves are, 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 are sitting around. They don't, like, they don't see the elves bustling around and doing all these things. So I, I you know, I, I, I don't, I think that to say it only looks like magic because the elves are super dex- you know, very, very dexterous and very good cooks and stuff. I think that's missing the point. I mean, they, they are good, but, um, but I don't think that's how it works here. Um, would you explain the disappearance of the elves in Mirkwood 
in the same way. Um, you know, when suddenly all the torches go out at once and everybody disappears, right? And not everybody and everything disappears. There aren't even any dishes or food or anything left over, right? Um, I mean, again, I guess we could imagine that the Elven King and all of his people are, again, just like super good and quick. And they they all had this, they've like rehearsed this, right? So that as soon as somebody comes in, they like all reach out and grab three or four plates and dishes and somehow somebody douses all. The, they've got special torch dousers there I mean, you know, it's possible. It's, it's, but I don't believe that. Um, that's that's again. That seems to me totally outside of the uh, uh, of the whole spirit of elves and the way that they work. Um, it is magical, in a sense, and how what that what sense that is, right? How that works. Uh, in a sense, we're not going to find out how it works, right? Because we're not elves. Um, so it's not something that, like, we can replicate or necessarily understand. Um, but I think it's important for us to be open to the possibility. And clearly the parallels with tradi- parallels with a hobbit and the parallels with sort of fairy tradition, uh, you know, fairy tale tradition, suggest that there's actual magical slash otherworld activity going on. Um, this is exactly the kind of thing, the kind of incident and the kind of place that, you know, people told fairy tales about. And the very fact as, as, as Tithosan was reminding us and as we discussed last week, the very fact that the Hobbit village nearby is, uh, uh, is, is named Woodall, right, um, shows that stories do, in fact, circulate. Right? Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that it's... Um, uh, it, it's it certainly shows that that kind of thing is uh, is sort of around, um, yeah, yeah, um, okay, yeah, good, all right. So we'll see. We'll 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 continue to um, uh, we'll continue to to sort of see see what we see. But this question of magic and elf magic in particular is, I think, a really important one. Uh, so let's, by all means, keep our eyes out as we sort of go through here. Um, okay. Uh, let's, let's talk about Gildar. Okay, so here's the beginning of the conversation between Gildar and Frodo. You do not ask me or tell me much that concerns yourself, Frodo, said Gildar, but I already know a little, and I can read more in your face and in the thought behind your questions. You are leaving the Shire, and yet you doubt that you will find what you seek, or accomplish what you intend, or that you will ever return. Is not that so? It is, said Frodo, but I thought my going was a secret known only to Gandalf and my faithful Sam. He looked down at Sam, who was snoring gently. The secret will not reach the enemy from us, said Gildor. The enemy? said Frodo. Then you know why I am leaving the Shire? I do not know for what reason the enemy is pursuing you, answered Gildor but I perceive that he is, strange indeed, though that seems to me, and I warn you that peril is now both before you and behind you and upon either side. Okay, now, here's another immediate question, right? Um, is there magic involved here, right? Um, uh, yeah, uh, Dime, we're going to come back to that. But uh, is uh, is Sam faking being asleep? Totally. Totally. Sam is absolutely faking it right here. Uh, No question. Um, But as I said, we're going to come back to that. Um, Yeah. Okay. 
look what Gildor, so what Gildor knows and how he figures out what he knows, right? Um, he, you know, is he reading Frodo's thoughts? Yeah, well, he kind of says that, right? Remember, we've already seen a connection between the elves and the thoughts of the hobbits, right? The magic of the elves' song communicated itself directly to the mind of the hobbits. Again, the question of magic and elvish power doesn't really translate well into other outside terms. So as soon as you start asking a question like, um, you know, are elves telepathic? Like, that's not a question that you can really answer because it assumes categories that Tolkien isn't really assuming, I think. Um, What he says is, I can read... I, I know a little, right? I know a little about you, that is to say. I can read more than I already knew in your face. And that there I think he's speaking only of what um, anybody could do, right, with, like, careful observations and uh, millennia of experience, right? Uh, and in the thought behind your questions. And that probably isn't magical. Probably isn't magical. Right, probably just means like I can tell from what you're asking that you know I can deduce innocence, right? Um, probably, probably, but um, that same phrase is going to be used of Gandalf, going to be used by Gandalf later on when he is clearly suggesting that he is doing something which we would call telepathy, basically. Um, so. So yeah, so, Grim. Exactly. The question is: uh, is uh, is is Gildor telepathic, or is he just Sherlocking here? Um, I think. I think honestly, some of both. Um, that elves clearly have some different forms of communication and interaction than just verbal communication and interaction. Again, we already saw this, right? We already saw the fact that their song, which was, which the, the hobbits were hearing with their ears was communicating itself directly to their thought, uh, in a more direct way than is totally normal. Right. Um, I think it's definitely both Nick. I, I think he's totally Sherlocking. I can, I can read in your face that that's a Sherlocking thing. Right. Um, and in the thought behind your questions there, I think it's it's a little bit like he can he can he can see what's going on. Right. He he's he's a, he concludes very clearly um, several things about Frodo. Right. In fact, almost everything. There's really only one thing he doesn't conclude. Right. And that is. The ring. Right. Um, he can tell I can you know, he says, I can tell you're leaving the Shire. Right. And yet you doubt that you will find what you seek or accomplish what you intend or that you will ever return. And that's actually pretty good, right? Um, and that uh, um, that seems to be, um, you know, how much of that did he, der- did he, again, did he simply Sherlock and conclude or how much of it, um, you know, was he able just to kind of sense from uh, from Frodo, I, I, I personally, I do think that there is some sensing going on here. Matt, exactly as you point out, we do have in addition to the whole song taking shape and you know uh, uh, translating itself in their minds thing, 
we are going to see some examples of, of some clear what would in other situations be classified as telepathy going on um, among the elf lords, right? So I, I'm, I am not at all concerned, right? I'm not at all worried uh, about... I, I don't, it doesn't seem to me at all odd or um, unlikely to say that Gildor is actually sensing some things from further here and drawing conclusions based on the things that he's sensing, right? And you notice what he's sensing is basically his emotions. Um, you know, his doubts, I can say, you know, he can tell that Frodo is, is, is worried and doubtful, skeptical even, that there's even this sort of question of despair. I, you, know, you doubt that you will find what you seek or accomplish what you intend or that you will ever return. So he doesn't have specific information there, right? Maybe you're seeking something and you don't think you're going to find it, right? Maybe you're trying to accomplish something and you don't think you're going to accomplish it. Um, and you don't think you're ever going to return, right? Um, so this does seem to be like he... he per- he's perceiving Frodo's mood, and that word, that's a word I use carefully because mood is a really important word. Um, the modern English word mood comes from the very important Anglo-Saxon word mode, uh, which means mind, but it, it's not just mind, it doesn't mean brain. It means like your whole like attitude, mindset, personality, temperament even. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Finn says, I always thought of it as more of an awareness uh, rather than a, a sixth sense kind of thing. What's the difference? What's the difference? Again, I, I, my what I would encourage is not to get caught up in terminology, right? Um, uh, don't try to classify stuff, right? Um, you know, is there elvish power behind his perception? Yeah, I think so. Right. Whether it's, you know, whatever is behind it, you know, again, our desire to say, is this magic or is this not magic? Right. Um, Like, is this is this him using magic or is this just him drawing conclusions because he's really old and and experienced and wise? Right. I'm not that's not really a very meaningful question at the end of the day. Right. And it's kind of frustrating because we often want to do that. We want to know. Right. But. Tolkien's magic in, in Middle Earth really defies that kind of it's that kind of characterization, that kind of classification. It's one of the reasons why it's always been hard um, to um, uh, to do to to you know to make a, a, a like a, a role playing system based on on Middle Earth. It's one of the challenges that Lotro had from the beginning. Is like you, you how do you make a, a magic show? How do you create, you know, spells and magical skills uh, for characters to use within the context of this world where that kind of thing doesn't happen, right? So it's it's tough. Again, it's, I, the impulse is totally natural for us to want to distinguish and define and, and categorize. Um, but Tolkien really... Middle-earth resists that, and it's going to resist it really hard. And frankly, I think the best thing we can do is to try, rather than trying to subject Middle-earth ultimately to kind of our own definitions and vocabularies, and that's why, again, like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to really, I've been using the word a lot, but I don't want to talk about telepathy or think about it as like 
elves being telepathic or having telepathic powers. It's, it's again, that's not a Middle English word. It's not a Middle English word. It's not. But it's not a Middle Earth word either. Um, and um, anyway, so yeah, I, I, I think... Um, uh, I think it's it's something that is really important for us to kind of try to enter into the spirit of. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I agree, you know, Tony says it's the mystery and ambivalence that makes Tolkien's world so compelling. It feels more real because it's harder to pin down. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, there is um, really an area, an era of, of, of mystery to it, you know, that... Uh, you, you know you can't you can't just define it um but anyway okay so okay so he 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 can tell what frodo's feeling right now notice frodo's surprise i thought my going was a secret known only to gandalf and my faithful sam right so here he's worried that rumor has spread right you know how can you tell that i'm that i'm going right that i'm planning to leave um and, uh, and of course, his next answer, his next, Gilder's next response is even more concerning. The secret will not reach the enemy from us. Notice the Frodo's conclusion. The enemy? Then you know why I'm leaving the Shire? Frodo now is assuming Gildor knows about the ring. Because if he knows the enemy is hunting him, he must know why the enemy is hunting for him, right? Um, but here, Frodo oversteps in his assessment of Gildor. This is the thing that Gildor doesn't understand, right? I don't know why the enemy is pursuing you what I perceive that he is. Now that of course is not a very odd or frankly impressive perception on Gildor's part, right? There was a black rider right there, right? Sneaking towards them uh, who fled when Gildor and the other elves approached. It's pretty clear the enemy is pursuing him. You know, he knows what it is, right? Uh, So, um, um, anyway, yeah. So, so he, um, he can tell the enemy is pursuing him. So again, Frodo assumes that means he must know about the ring because why would he, you know, how, how else would he know this? Um, it's interesting, therefore, Gildor has no idea about the ring, right? He finds it very strange, as indeed he might. Like, there are ring wraiths in the Shire and they're hunting this random hobbit. Why are they doing that, right? He doesn't know. Though he seems to be drawing some shrewd conclusions as we'll see later on a good deal later on. Um, Lincoln is asking, did Gildor and the elves know that there was a black rider? Um, they don't seem to be aware of it as they approach, right? The hobbits tell them about it. And only after the hobbits tell them about it, do they discuss among themselves? Um, I think it's pretty clear as we'll see, that they and Crystal, I absolutely believe the Black Rider is afraid of the elves. The Black Rider hears the elves coming and books it. Absolutely. Um, uh, this I would, by the way, take as another uh, example of the um, one of the um, one of the trends that we've uh, we're talking about before, or you know, the sort of question that came up when we were talking about the elf song, and the question was, is this just like enchantment that they're kind of broadcasting? Or is it something that, you know, were they targeting the hobbits with their song? And I was arguing that they were broadcasting, right? That's what singing is, right? It's just sort of magic that all can hear, right, uh, who, are, who, are, who are around it. Um, and I, I think the Flight of the Black Rider is another pretty clear example of the fact that, that it, was certainly, it was certainly aware of them, even if they weren't aware of him. However, 
Although, Lincoln, they don't say, like, yeah, we got there just in time to drive that black rider away, right? That's not their reaction. It does not seem that they were aware of it or did that on purpose. But when, uh, remember when, when uh, Frodo and Pippin explain about the black riders pursuing them, their response is, black riders, why do you speak of black riders? Not, what the heck are black riders? We have no idea what you're talking about, right? They don't say that. Um, they do seem to be aware of the fact that the Black Riders are there, in general. Um, and they know exactly who we're talking about. It seems like, oh, you know, uh, you know, so when he says, why do you, you know, when they say, why do you ask about Black Riders, um, is a really interesting question. And I take that as certainly meaning they know about the Black Riders, and they're wondering why Frodo's worried about them, right? What did, what did the Black Riders have to do with you, Right. Um, is sort of what they're asking. And when they find that the Black Riders seem actually to be pursuing them, that's when they say, come with us. It's not our custom, but come with us, right? If you're being hunted by these Black Riders and they're right here, we're going to keep you safe tonight. Um, we're not going to take any chances with that. Um, so, uh, so yeah, they... they, they Matt, I agree, it is surprising, but they do seem to know it. They seem to know what they are, and they do not seem to be shocked by the fact that they're there. They're shocked by the fact that the Black Riders are actually hunting Frodo, um, but they're not shocked. They don't appear to be shocked by the, by the mere presence of the Black Riders. Um, so, let's see. Um, <laughs> Cassie was asking if any of the Rangers of Middle-earth know black, spe- black speech fluently. Um, not Candyth, obviously, but uh, um, uh, uh, but yeah. Sorry, Lotro joke. Um, I bet there are. Um, I mean, you know, some that interact with orcs more, um, but fluently. I don't. I mean, we don't have any evidence. Um, you know, no direct evidence. We never hear anybody speaking the black speech fluently. Um, we know elves don't like it, so they don't speak it. Um, would any ranger know it? I would bet they would. Uh, honestly, I bet there's got to be some rangers out there who have made a study of it, uh, and, uh, know about it, but, uh, well, that's just a guess. Um, okay. Um. Yeah, Irindus points out that at this point the Black Riders must have been abroad for a few months. You know, rumors must be around. Um, uh, Finn is talking about the same rumors that Gandalf heard, right? Gildor might have well heard the same rumors. Um, so yeah, that's certainly that's certainly possible. Again, I doubt they would have encountered them. Um, but and then you know, I directly met them. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, well off, no ranger would speak black speech trippingly upon the tongue because black speech cannot be spoken trippingly upon the tongue. Too many guttural sounds deep in the throat for that. Uh, you can, I mean, nobody can, can, can speak a language with the <sighs> syllable in it trippingly. It's just not possible. Uh, but anyway. Tripping over the tongue, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Or, or like hacking up phlegm, uh, but whatever. Uh, anyway, okay. So, um, 
Okay. Uh... <laughs> Trippingly upon the epiglottis. Yeah, more like that. Tom. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so, okay. So, okay. So, so Gildar understands everything except the ring, right? The ring he doesn't understand. I can tell. I can. I can. I can tell from the thought behind your questions, right? I can. I can. I can sense your your mood, right? Your, your mind, your thought, your, uh, state right now, right? Uh, you're concerned, you're afraid, you're in despair. You don't think you're going to be able to do what you're setting out to do. Um, and the enemy is hunting for you. Okay. I knew that danger lay ahead, of course, but I did not expect to meet it in our own shire. Can't a hobbit walk from the water to the river in peace? But it is not your own shire, said Gildor. Others dwelt here before hobbits were, and others will dwell here again when hobbits are no more. The wide world is all about you. You can fence yourselves in, but you cannot forever fence it out. Okay, now this is that that crucial passage that I was alluding to before and in the... Uh, uh, and in the, the title of today's class, um, this illusion that the hobbits have created around themselves with their own isolationism, right? The fact that they have they have the bounds, right? They talk about the bounds of the Shire, right? They've got their bounders to beat the bounds, right? To make sure no undesirables come in or anything. Um, but, um, but, yeah, that's... Um, that's not it shows us something about hobbit mindset right this is their country right it belongs to them it is the place of the hobbits um it is quiet and peaceful and the wide world doesn't come here right um those other things uh those um i mean remember the conversation between ted and sam right um that there's there are those as as I've seen elves right crossing the Shire, mark you, right crossing it, um, seeing elves in the Shire, right? But nobody questions. Why do they live here, right? Why are they here? You know, clearly, if they if they are here, it's just because they're moving from uh, um, uh, from one from one place to another, right? Um. Yeah, yeah. Dima says I really disliked this when I first read it. It is their shire. Uh, yeah. Um. No. No. It's not their shire, right? And this is one of the realities here: is that the hobbits are part of the wide world, right? They might. And again, this is the emphasis that Gildor makes, right? You can fence yourselves in, but you can't forever fence the world out. You can pretend that you're not a part of the world. Um. And you can succeed as far as you are concerned. You can succeed in changing your own mindset and sort of sheltering yourself. But you can't actually change the outside world, right? You can't prevent the outside world from ever, uh, from ever coming in. Lincoln, uh, defense in, defense out, same action, right? Yeah, the, uh, uh, the, the dispossessed perspective uh, from Gilder. Reference to uh, dispossessed by Ursula Le Guin, which we did in the Mythgard Academy last before we did uh, before we started the Return of the Shadow, which now seems like eight months ago. Um, yeah, yeah. No, Nick, it, it, it was given to them, absolutely. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. But you notice elves seem to have a different view of property rights and things than hobbits have. I mean, you'll notice they have this spot right here in the hobbit's shire, which obviously they've had for time out of mind and come back here whenever they want. Do the hobbits own this land, right? Did they have to Did they have to establish a treaty, right? I mean, are they trespassing on somebody's property? Probably, right? Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah. And of course, as Matt uh, DeForest is pointing out, um, even in that case, if it's their own shire because the king bequeathed it to them, that still means that they're part, by definition, they're part of the larger kingdom. They're part of the larger world. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think, and so, Irendus, I agree, but I think it's not only that a long life gives you a different perspective on ownership and land boundaries, um, but that their, their different relationship with the land as well, and a different relationship with the world as a whole, right? If that makes sense. Um, they, the hobbits are fencing themselves in, right? That, that is that, that says something about their attitude. And Frodo is illustrating that, um, uh, that mindset, right? Uh, in his comment, I knew that danger lay ahead, but I didn't expect to meet him in our own shire. Can't a hobbit walk from the water to the river in peace? Right? I mean, his, 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 his mind is being blown by the fact that his exile has started before he hadn't even left Bag End, right? I mean, he was still on the, on the hill itself when he met a black rider. Like, a black rider has come to the hill. Um, remember Frodo's own insight that there were times that he thought that an invasion of dragons would be good for the residents of the Shire, right? To kind of shake them out of their complacency. Well, notice the shoe's on the other foot now, right? In a sense, there has been an invasion of dragons. Right? Now, the thing is, is that no one else has noticed, right? So it's a, it's a peculiar kind of dragon invasion. Um, but the invasion of the Black Riders into the Shire is like, again, for those who understand what it is, which is pretty much only Frodo, right? Um, they understand, you know, he understands, you know, that uh, he has, he now sees the thing which the rest of the hobbits in the Shire wouldn't see unless dragons did come, right? Um, which is that he had, he had looked at the whole Shire like it's just their backyard, right? Uh, like it's, it's, it, it's like being indoors, right? I know if I go outside, things can get dangerous, right? But I didn't expect, I didn't expect to meet danger in my own living room, right? Is is almost like the tone of what he's saying here. And again, that's the Hobbit perspective. Um, and exactly, um, Tony, I agree. It, 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 I would also say it's more about their relationships with the peoples in the outside world, their relation, their idea of their place in the world as a whole, I would say. More about that than it is about, about political boundaries or, 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 or things like that. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, Okay, good. Um, yes, mine Shire, exactly way I love. Another dispossessed joke. Um, okay, let's keep going. Gildor was silent for a moment. I do not like this news, he said at last. That Gandalf should be late does not bode well. But it is said, do not meddle in the affairs of wizards, for they are subtle and quick to anger. The choice is yours, to go or wait. 
And it is also said, answered Frodo, Go not to the elves for counsel, for they will say both no and yes. Is it indeed, laughed Gildor. Elves seldom give unguarded advice, for advice is a dangerous gift, even from the wise to the wise, and all courses may run ill. But what would you? You have not told me all concerning yourself, and how then shall I choose better than you? But if you demand advice, I will, for friendship's sake, give it. I think you should now go at once, without delay. And if Gandalf does not come before you set out, then I also advise this. Do not go alone. Take such friends as are trusty and willing. Now, you should be grateful, for I do not give this counsel gladly. The elves have their own labors and their own sorrows, and they are little concerned with the ways of hobbits or of any other creatures upon earth. Our paths cross theirs seldom, by chance or purpose. In this meeting there may be more than chance, but the purpose is not clear to me, and I fear to say too much. Okay. Um, this is uh, several things going on here. First, I agree, Ambrosius Aurelianus, it is kind of cheeky, right, for Frodo to, to sort of spin that back to the elf, and, you know, the go-not-to-the-elves-for-counsel thing. Um, and of course, like Gildor laughs, obviously he laughs, right? When Frodo says that, but that is, that is actually kind of gutsy of Frodo, uh, to say that, you know, the choice is yours to go or wait. Well, yeah, duh. Um, think about this for a minute. What's the big deal? Right? I mean, okay. He makes a big deal about giving advice, right? Elves seldom give unguarded advice for it's a dangerous gift, Right? And then he says, But what would you? You have not told me all concerning yourself, and how then shall I choose better than you? Now, that I think is a really interesting thing and, and a, a sort of a, an interesting compliment, right? Um, to Frodo. Or maybe not exactly a compliment, more of a recontextualization, right? In a sense, remember I was talking at the beginning about Frodo meeting one of the wise, right? Um, he's been missing Gandalf. He's worried about the fact that Gandalf hasn't come back. He's not sure if he's doing the right thing in leaving, but if he'd stayed, it might've made things worse, right? He's already said that. So he's, he's concerned, right? He's worried. Um, he's now met another person who could be an advisor. He really wants to be told what's best to do, right? He wants somebody to make up his mind for him. But remember, even Gandalf wouldn't do that. Gandalf, You'll recall at the end of chapter two, laid everything out for Frodo, right? Here's kind of what needs to happen, but it's up to you, right? And and he remember he was even pushing Frodo. Like, well, have you decided what to do, right? Even though I kind of told you there's really only one thing that can be done. I mean, he has more than one option, but there's only one good option, right? Or one least bad option. Um, so, uh. But it was still important that Frodo choose. Here, Frodo seems to want Gildor to be able to say, I can tell you exactly what the best choice is, right? And Gildor emphasizes, look, you're choosing what is the best choice, right? I can't choose for you. I don't even have all the information, right? Um, so there's no way that I could make a wiser choice, than you could make. Um, so I think there's, there's a kind of a gentle um, a sort of nudging of Frodo here, like, don't, don't, don't try to rely on me, right? Don't think that I just know the answers because I'm an elf and very wise, right? 
you need to make your own choices. You can make your own choices. You can perceive the the wisest choice here. Um, but uh, um, but then he, he makes this big deal about the advice. Advice is a dangerous gift. And then he says, then he gives in. Right. If you demand advice, I will, for friendship's sake, give it. Okay. All right. What's his advice? Um, I think you should go at once without delay. And if Gandalf does not come before you set out, then I also advise this. So he, he, he gets a twofer. Right. Two pieces of advice. I advise you to go, and I advise you to take such friends as are trusty and willing. Now you should be grateful. I do not give this counsel gladly. Um, what's he done? Right? On the one hand, you could like be cynical in reading this passage, right? And say, well, gee, Gilder, that was super helpful, right? Um, uh, don't go, you know, go at once without delay. As opposed to what? Sitting around and waiting for the Black Riders to catch you? I mean, keeping moving seems like kind of a necessary deal at this point, right? Um, and take people as our trusty and willing. Well, he was going to take Sam anyway, right? Uh, I mean, that had already been decided. Um, and again, you could say that this is not, like, there's nothing earth-shaking, right, in the elf's, in the elf's advice, in Gilder's advice. Um, why is it such a big deal? Why is advice a dangerous gift? I mean, it's just advice, right? It's not a command. Why is advice such a dangerous gift? Well, look at what he says after this. The elves have their own labors and their own sorrows, and they are little concerned with the ways of hobbits or of any other creatures upon earth. Our paths cross theirs seldom by chance or purpose. In this meeting there may be more than chance, but the purpose is not clear to me, and I fear to say too much. Um, hang on, let's hang on to the chance or purpose thing for now. Um, of course, several of you are commenting on that, and you're absolutely right. That's obviously important. But I want to focus on the earlier part there first. Why do the elves seldom give unguarded, unguarded advice? Why is advice a dangerous gift? Because elves have their own labors and their own sorrows, and they are little concerned with the ways of hobbits or of any other creatures upon earth. Our paths cross theirs seldom. How are these things related? Why is advice so dangerous? It seems to me that he is um, we are uh, they are little concerned with the ways of hobbits. Our paths cross theirs seldom. When you give advice to someone, um, that is a path crossing, right? But it's more than a path crossing. When you give advice to someone, you are going along with them, right? You are. There is a sense in which you're 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 joining yourself with them. Again, go back to the beginning. For advice is a dangerous gift, even from the wise to the wise, and all courses may run ill. 
and all courses may run ill. So um, if I'm giving you advice, if you're trying to choose between several paths, right, several courses that you could take, um, I could give you advice as to which one of those would be the best path for you to take, right? But all paths may run ill. There is no, there is not necessarily any right answer. And if I give you advice and help to lead you down a particular path, there's a certain amount of responsibility for that, right? There's a certain, like, to some extent, we're kind of going down that path together now, right? I'm with you on that path. I'm helping you on that path. I'm certainly helping you onto that path, right? Um, and it's a dangerous gift because all courses may run ill, right? You may give advice which seems very wise, which, which based on everything you know at that time is very wise, right? But all courses may run ill. It might not turn out well at all, and it may well be that the advice that you have given led someone down a path which turned out very badly, right? Um, it's a dangerous gift, right? Dangerous sort of for everybody involved, Um so it's interesting. He talks about courses. All courses may run ill. And then he talks about paths at the bottom. That seems to be the way he's thinking about this, right? Um, uh, and of course, at the center of it is the business about how shall I choose better than you, right? Um, you've got to choose your own path. Uh, but I'll give my, I will tell you what path I think would be best for you to take, even though I don't like to do that. Right. Um, so, uh, so good. So back to chance and purpose now. Our paths cross theirs seldom by chance or purpose. In this meeting, there may be more than chance, but the purpose is not clear to me, and I fear to say too much. This is clearly why. Why does he fear to say too much? Because he doesn't know enough. Right? And he knows he doesn't know enough. Um, what is the purpose? If, if their meeting is more than chance, which he clearly suspects, right, um, that there is some purpose, capital P purpose, as Gandalf might say, some purpose in their meeting, but he doesn't know what the purpose is. What is his role meant to be? Is he supposed to... You know, I mean, we see different, we see their paths being crossed by different people, right? Think about Frodo's encounter with Gildor, Frodo's encounter with Tom Bombadil, Frodo's encounter with Aragorn, right? Um, there is, I would say, purpose in the meeting of Frodo with all three of those, right? But that doesn't mean they all have the same purpose, right? Um, in a sense, he's saying... I don't uh, know what my job is supposed to be, so I don't know if I, I don't know how I'm supposed to do it, right? Um, I fear to say too much. If I, if, if he makes a wrong choice, because basically the question of whether he gives advice, the question of how, how much he sort of comes in to support Frodo here um, is a question about, not just about Frodo's choice, it's about his own course, his own path. Right? What path is he, Gildor, supposed to be treading here? What is his role? What is his purpose in this? And how can he best fulfill that purpose? Right? Um, 
and he's clearly not sure that it that that it would be you know just kind of going along with Frodo and helping him no matter what. That's not what he does, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, sorry, I just got, got behind on comments here, so I'm looking at, at a whole bunch here. Um, yeah, yeah. Whale off is pointing out that Gildor may be re- remembering Turin, all of whose paths ran ill, and who didn't exactly give Nargothrond good advice. Gildor was likely at Nargothrond. Uh, yes, I, I agree. Very likely he was at Nargothrond. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, interesting. Matt says it's interesting that his worry is not to say too little. He fears to say too much. As Matt points out, he doesn't fear to say too little. Uh, is it because he has said all that he could? Um, I don't know, Matt, but that is a really interesting point, right? Gildor seems to believe that if he's going to err, he's going to err on the side of saying too little. He doesn't even spell out what the Black Riders are. Remember when Frodo asked about them, he's like, you know, shun them, right? Uh, 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 say no, speak no word to them, right? They are deadly. Um, isn't it enough to know that they're servants of the enemy? He could just say, like, they're ringwraiths, right? They're totally ringwraiths. Again, I'll tell you about the nine. That's them, right? Um, and, uh, uh, but, but yeah, Matt, that's another example, right? Of where he doesn't, you know, he said, has Gandalf told you nothing, right? And Frodo says, well, nothing of such creatures, which isn't exactly correct. Uh, he has, in fact, spoken of them, but he doesn't. Um, he doesn't understand. Um, yeah, Lincoln. Exactly. He refuses to explain more, lest terror keep Frodo from his journey. Uh, and of course, Frodo points out he can't imagine what information would be uh, would be more terrifying. Um, but uh, yeah, Lincoln says normally we say knowledge is power. In this case, uh, uh, Gildor seems to believe it's disempowering. Actually, uh, perhaps so. Um, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, he, yeah, but but again, he does his his default is to say less, right? It, it's not his job um, to reveal even who the Black Riders are, right? Uh, like I I can confirm what you already know, right? They're agents of the enemy, um, but what good can it do, right? It can only do harm for them to know exactly how dangerous the Black Riders are. He says, right? He believes. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and yes, you guys are right. We are going to have this conversation later on with Mary and Pippin. Um, yeah, yeah. This, I recall, we will be remembering this conversation with Gildo when we talk about some of those later passages. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. And I agree, Lincoln, it makes it way scarier for the readers, right? Uh, who, you know, like the writers are so terrible that Gildor won't even talk about them, right? Um, yeah, it is a really pretty awesome effect. Um, yeah, good. Okay, um, let's keep going. But where shall I find courage? asked Frodo. That is what I chiefly need. Courage is found in unlikely places, said Gildor. Be of good hope. Sleep now. In the morning we shall have gone. 
but we will send our messages through the lands. The wandering companies shall know of your journey, and those that have power for good shall be on the watch. I name you Elf Friend, and may the stars shine upon the end of your road. Seldom have we had such delight in strangers, and it is fair to hear words of the ancient speech from the lips of other wanderers in the world. Okay. Um, so notice, Gildor doesn't have a non-interventionist policy, right? Uh, he fears to say too much, but he doesn't fear to do things. He's not going to go along with them, right? He's not going to make their path his path, but he is going to do things. They're going to send messages through the lands. The wandering companies shall know of your journey. Now, who are the wandering companies? Are those companies of elves that he's talking about? Um, uh, um, um, or is he talking about the rangers explicitly? Um, Tarloniel says it, it sounds like it's almost like it's some kind of elven organization. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I uh, I think, for the record, I think he's talking about elves. Um, I can tell you why, but it's kind of cheating. Um, it's actually Tolkien's early poetry that makes me think this. Um, he talks about elves this way in uh, that wonderful poem that he first wrote in 1915, Quartirian Among the Trees. Um, there's a, a line which gets kept in, but it's changed around in a couple of the later drafts of the poem, but, um, which he revised in like the thirties and then again in the, in the sixties. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, the lonely companies, um, are they even called the wandering companies in one of them? Uh, I know they're called the lonely companies, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, and these are elves that he's talking about. Totally different context, totally different world, our world, uh, literally. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, like, and I, I say it's cheating because of course we don't know that it's relevant, right? It, it doesn't prove anything. Um, but I, uh, it's what makes me think that, these are it's it's other elves that he's talking to, and of course other elf friends that he's going to be talking to. Um, but um, but yeah, as uh, John Osglass yeah, here points out, the world is not as mundane as the Hobbit world supposes. Yeah, notice that uh, you know that 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 whole business about fencing themselves in, right? And now there's this sort of glimpse of actually, yeah, all over the place, right? Um, uh, all over the place. There's, there's, there's elves, right? And I'm going to somehow communicate with them all so that they'll all know, uh, uh, that you're out and about. So if any of them meet you, they'll know to help you. Um, yeah, it's, it definitely sort of shows there is much more to the world that they're walking through, right? Again, it really kind of recontextualizes this whole jaunt across the Shire for him. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Um, yeah, by the way, if you want to read Cortirian Among the Trees, which is a wonderful uh, poem in a really complicated stanzaic form. Uh, it's got these 11-line uh, stanzas, as I recall, uh, with a really complicated rhyme scheme, and they're really regular, except a few of the stanzas deviate. 
uh, interesting. Anyway, it's 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 really kind of cool. Uh, you can find it in uh, chapter one, the the commentary section of chapter one of the Book of Lost Tales, volume one, um, is where you can find all three versions uh, of uh, that poem. Um, anyway, um, yeah, Matt, I, I I agree. I think that Gildor's uh, the elves that they're talking to are one of the wandering companies in question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think that this means there are some elves that obviously live in one place, right? Like there are elves of the elves of Rivendell. There are many elves that just live in Rivendell and there are obviously elves that live in Mirkwood and there are elves that live in Lothlorien, but there are also wandering companies, right? Groups of elves that hang out together and clearly are affiliated with and have close relationships with the other elves, um, but they don't, um, they don't live in one place. They, they wander, right? They, they, they're just wandering through middle earth. It's what they do. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think that's why, that's why Gilder's here, right? And what he's up to essentially. Um, yeah. Ambrosius are really honest. That's just the one. Thou art the inmost province of the faded isle where linger yet the lonely companies still undespairing here. They slowly file along thy paths with solemn harmonies. Yes. Alal minore in the fairy realms. Um, that's the one. That's the poem. Okay. But anyway. All right. Uh, now more, because there's, there's much more going on here. I name you elf friend. And may the stars shine upon the end of your road. I name you Elf Friend. Um, that's a big deal. It took me a long time to figure out what a big deal that is, right? Um, I name you Elf Friend. And Matt, you were talking about this is one of those uh, moments. You were talking about the. Uh, uh, about this on the discussion board, which I thought was really important. Uh, Matt DeForest was emphasizing in this passage the emphasis on name, right? Um, it's not just, I call you elf friend. Like, hey, you're an elf friend, man. You know, like, I think you're an elf. You're my, I'm an elf. Uh, you know, I consider you my friend. You're an elf friend, right? But it's a big deal, right? I name you elf friend. He's, he's doing, a transaction has just happened, right? A thing has occurred right there. Frodo's changed, when he is named Elfrend. Um, and DMA, you're absolutely right. Others can recognize it, right? When others, you know, we'll see this, right? Um, when other people meet Frodo, they'll be like, whoa, dude, he's an Elfrend. How do you know he's an Elfrend, right? You can just tell, right? It's There's something about them, which those who, um, uh, those that have power for good, uh, you know, can just kind of recognize this. Um so, um, uh, yeah, Finn, I agree. Uh, Finn points out that uh, Frodo doesn't seem to take it like a big deal and doesn't make a big deal of it. I agree. I'm not sure, Finn, that Frodo does fully understand what just happened there, right? Um, which is a little bit strange. You'd think that maybe, but maybe Bilbo didn't fully understand it either, right? Um, you know, maybe he thought of it in, you know, as being friends with elves. Maybe he thought that meant it was sort of, said something about the elves, right? And not that something has changed about him. You remember Bilbo's named an elf friend uh, by the Elven King at the end of The Hobbit. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, as Aragorn is pointing out, you know, elf friend in Anglo-Saxon is Alfwina, uh, which is a really important concept. And uh, not just earlier on in his mythology, Aragorn, but immediately before doing, you know, the whole The Lost Road stuff was was, was just in the couple years prior to his starting The Lord of the Rings. Um, and so, so yeah, and he, he translates the name elf friend into, into many languages uh, and points out, by the way, that it exists in many languages, um, historical languages, not fictional languages. Um, there are names that basically mean elf friend in Anglo-Saxon and Gothic and, uh, and various other languages. So, um, now JJ asks, was it a big deal when the Hobbit was written? No, I don't think so. Not in the same way, JJ. I don't think, uh, um, you know, when the, like basically the Elven King is, is, is sort of saying like, I don't know. I mean, I take when the Elven King says that to Bilbo, I take that as meaning like, you're always welcome at my court, right? You know, come anytime and you will have a welcome, basically. Um, which is important in the context, because you remember this is in the conversation when Bilbo gives the necklace to the Elven King, right? To pay him for his hospitality, his, uh, his involuntary hospitality of Bilbo. Um, and, uh, uh, so basically, Bilbo's asking, he's apologizing to the Elven King. Like, I'm sorry I burgled you for several weeks, right? And so when the Elven King responds by calling him an elf friend, it's, it seems like he's being like, no, yeah, no, 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 don't worry about it. Far from being offended or upset or whatever, you know, you're welcome. You're welcome anytime. Um, so no, JJ, I don't think that the Elven King saying that to Bilbo meant the same thing at that time that what Gildor says to Frodo, but of course in the world of the, of the Lord of the Rings, then yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a big deal now. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, it's just about time for the end of class, but you know what? That was my last slide on chapter three. Uh, and then he goes to sleep. Um, Okay, uh, well, we might as well stop there and start with chapter four next time. Um, yeah, might as well, might as well. So next week, we will discuss the critical question of whether to stay on the road or to uh, 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 to go off uh, cross-country, right? Uh, and... Uh, we will have some more poetry to talk about, right? We'll get to the drinking song and the cry of the Nazgul, which is going to be alluded to in uh, many, many occasions. Um, not quite as many times as Bilbo's kettle just beginning to sing is in The Hobbit, um, but um, but it's, uh, it's uh, actually it reminds me of it, in a sense, by how often that moment is going to be referred back to. Uh, later on, whenever we meet the Nazgul uh, in future portions of the story. But uh, yes, no, Tony, I think we have uh, six weeks is my limit for chapter three. We're good. We're good. Um, yeah, I was just looking uh, today. I was just looking today at a reference to an online class, which was saying, like, we're going to take a leisurely stroll through through the Lord of the Rings going, going one chapter a week. And I'm like, one chapter a week? That's like a madcap dash through the Lord of the Rings. Um but anyway, okay, so cha chapter four, chapter four next time. Absolutely, chapter four next time. That's where we will begin. Uh, so read chapter four. Uh, maybe, 
maybe we'll get as far as farmer maggots. But I, I'm not. I'm not real hopeful. At least we're going to get up to farmer maggot. Uh, we'll be ready to start farmer maggot the week after next. Totally. Um, okay. So let's do our field trip. Um, and our so our field trip tonight is on the same theme that we were discussing uh, in the book tonight, and that is the the sort of the hobbits in the wide world and the sort of sheltered view of the hobbits. And the way in which they are over the course of the story of the Lord of the Rings, of course, the focus comes on uh, the, uh, the obviously the hobbits in the fellowship, right? And how their perspective is, is being changed. And we already see their perspective beginning to be changed. Um, but of course, we know that the, you know, the world is going to be changing for the hobbits of the Shire as well. Um, and I'm really interested in how Lotro has integrated this, this question of, um, of, uh, um, the you know the, the wide world sort of breaking in and the, the the hobbits of the Shire having to kind of deal with the fact that although they have sort of thought of their own quiet little world as the as as if it were the whole world and the rest of it were just at least irrelevant and possibly not even there right um, at least nothing they that they need to think about um, so anyway Locher has 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 done some kind of interesting things. Uh, to uh, uh, to sort of show how these uh, how how this kind of how this works and how hobbits some hobbits are beginning to sort of encounter this thing. So um, tonight we are going to go back to the Shire. Uh, oh, I was going to have you make a guess where we're going to go to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the Shire. Well, you can still guess where in the Shire we're going to go to. Where in the Shire? Can, can, like, can anybody guess I, which town in the Shire we're going to be starting from? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah. No, we're not going to the Marish yet. We're still we're still way away from not that. Yet. Yet. Woodhall. <laughs> we may end up near Woodhall tonight, indeed. Uh, but we're going to start off in a far more poetical and evocative neighborhood, namely Budgeford. Uh, so, oh, are we going to meet Mickledelving first? Yeah, we're going to meet at Mickledelving. Oh, yeah. Um, so we'll meet at Mickledelving. And then not only are we going to ride over from there, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to head. I'm going to, I'm going to grab a horse. If anybody needs a port, come up and see me, and I'll fellow with you. Because, because yeah, I not only want to um, want to do the um, uh, 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 to to go to ride over together, but I want to I want to I want to form a raid if we can, so that oh, okay. um, I'll just it'll my, make. Uh, because we're actually going to do, we're going to do some quests tonight, so that'll be made a little bit easier. If Once we, I get to Mickle Delving, I'll add folks. Too. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, so so we'll meet at Mickle Delving, and uh, then we'll head over to Budford. Lagging in Bree, I can't believe it. All right. Can I do for you? I think Bill Rosewood is an elf friend. I mean, no offense, but I just kind of doubt it. Oh. Doesn't look like it. Oh, it's done. Okay. 
All right, so yeah, um, we'll just meet up here by the stable master. So, Maven, you're doing, uh, you're doing fellowship yeah, stuff. I've got, a, I've got a fellowship now, and then I'll just add people once we arrive here. My group is here now. So, we're, are you guys up by the uh, stable? Uh, yeah, yeah, we're by the stable. So I'll start adding people. All right, here comes the bounder. So notice the bounders have um, feathers in their caps, kind of like the sheriffs. Is he wearing armor of some kind, like a sort of a quilted armor? Like he's wearing a, a padded a, vest, basically. Anybody who's in a fellowship already and wants to get into the raid, you need to drop your fellowship. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting lots of tutorial windows because it's the first time uh, <laughs> Nar Narnian and Arkenstone has never fellowed before. Uh, okay, so I want to look at my Social panel. Okay. I want to deselect show vitals. Okay. Hey, it's showing them anyway. Just trying to not have my whole screen blocked by everybody's vitals. Wait, so did you find the little box unchecked? Uh, yes. Oh yeah, those of us who are already who are already in should probably go somewhere else. So let's all go down. Those of us who are in the raid already, let's just go down here by the lamppost so that Maven can tell who still needs to get invited. All right. Cool. Oh, here comes the bounder again. I think I'm full. <laughs> oh dear, I think I'm full. I think we've got all 24 slots filled. Oh no, we've actually got uh, five more. Oh, do we? Oh, okay, yeah. since I was getting that. Was getting that. Okay. Yes, group four only oh, has one. You're right. Okay, good. Okay. Okay. All right. 
the ice dog slots. All right, is there anybody else? Anybody else that need to, just send me a towel if you need to be invited. If you're not in the rain yet, and I'll okay. get you. Okay. All right. Off to Budford. So we're now tolerably familiar with the road from Mickledelphing <laughs> across past Hobbiton uh, and up away again. That's a speedy horse. Is that a war pony? I can't wait till Grifflet gets his war steed, just so I can call it a war pony. So I still only have one alt that actually has a war steed. Wigan's war steed, uh, Wayward the steed, uh, is the only uh, war steed I have for any of my alts as yet. Okay, so here we are going through Waymeet. So we're going over to the town of Budgeford, which is the home of the Boffins. And you may remember we actually did, uh, um, we kind of toured, we kind of went through Budgeford anyway. And when we did at the time, we were talking about, um, uh, and one of the things that I was emphasizing was that in Budgeford is one of the places where you can see, um, you know, the Lotro folks kind of building the community of the Shire, you know, thinking about different um, sort of commercial agricultural roles, you know, that different places would, uh, would play. And one of the, one of the things that we noticed, of course, about Budgeford, uh, is it's where all the, the, the pigsties are. It's the primary pig, uh, uh, farming spot, uh, in, uh, the Shire. So, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of fun. Um, so we're going to do a quest chain in there. Uh, of course, it's an early quest chain, obviously. It's for very low-level characters. Um, but I, so I, I, I trust that m probably most of you who, have, who are coming along with us tonight have done this one. Um, but I think that this is a really fun one, again, for illustrating, as I said, the way in which uh, you know, the Lotro folks are also trying to sort of show this challenge, um, challenge for hobbits, in the Shire to come to grips with the fact that they're not alone uh, in the world and that there is, you know, sort of stuff outside their borders that is going to come in and invade, um, and which, you know, some of which are friendly and some of which are not friendly. Um, but okay, so there's Budgeford up ahead, right? It's right by the Ford. This, of course, is the same river that flows down from. Uh, uh, from Bywater. Uh, so this is the water. And here's the ford. So of course there's no bridge into Budgeford. Okay. And so here we, we ford the water right through some pigsties. And uh, I think this hobbit lass here is the one that we want to talk to. Yes, Linda Bolger. She's the one. So the Taste for Pork oh, quest is the one we want. And this starts off relatively mundane, right? There's a pack of wolves 
that has made its way into the Shire, and there's talk that there might be more on the way. Now remember, wolves invading the Shire was a big deal itself. It's a matter of Hobbit legend. During the fell winter, when the Brandywine froze over, um, so this was time Bilbo was a kid when this happened, so there are very few living hobbits that remember the fell winter, but it's recent enough. It's just, you know, in the, in the, like in the previous couple generations so that most hobbits still remember it and that wolves invaded the Shire across the frozen Brandywine and it was a bad time, right? But that's really kind of the last hard time that they've had in the Shire. It's been very peaceful and very prosperous uh, for, you know, more than 100 years since then. Um, so it's so the, so I say it starts off in a mundane fashion, but it's it's not wholly mundane, right? Again, an invasion of wolves is kind of a big deal um, for the Shire folk. So it seems like wow, like the 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 legends of you know the the of of of, of the years of yore of like the ancient history all the way back to the fell winter a hundred years ago, right? Um, it's like the bad old days are coming again, right? Anyway, so she's worried uh, that uh, uh, that her farm will soon be attacked, um, and that all Shire folk might be threatened by the presence of these wolves. Um, and she says that she saw something, and then she says, "Well, no, it's probably not important. Never mind." Okay, so there's something else that she so she saw something, perhaps something even stranger that she's obviously nervous about telling us because, of course, you know, we might think she's crazy. Um, anyway, so she came into town to look for help, um, but we should talk to Milo back at, at her farm, right? So this is why she's here in town. She doesn't live in this house. Um, uh, she's just coming in to, 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 to ask for help about the wolves. So we should go see uh, her husband, Milo, up at their farm. So let's go up to the Bulger, to Winda Bulger, to Winda and Milo uh, Bulger's farm, which is up over this way. Okay, and we've got some Right, some apple trees and some pleasant fields. I love the Shire countryside. Okay, I think this is the their farm. I love the incomplete fences too. They always have these. Alright. Where is Milo? Is he around behind? Oh, here he is. With his quest ring in the midst of the crowd of horses. Hey, Milo. Dear me, what do you want? Oh, you seem a little jumpy. Okay, any help is welcome, and I think we're going to need it. We hobbits of Budgeford aren't well suited to dealing with wolves, and the thought of wolves again in the Shire is enough to freeze my blood as solid as the brandy wine during the fell winter. See, now his heart just kind of worked in that lore there. It freezes his blood. Uh, and remember, the thought of the wolves again in the Shire, right? Okay. If you can thin the pack a bit, we might have a better chance of keeping them away from the town. Notice he's not even just primarily worried about himself and his livestock, right? Which is obviously a major concern with a pack of wolves around. Um, but he's worried they're actually going to come in and invade the town. I hope we can manage it. There are a lot of pigs and hobbits in Budgeford, and I'm afraid the wolves would love to have either or both for dinner. Okay, so we got to go. We got to find wolves. Um, so what did that used to be? Is that a bug? Is that a, a fly? Okay, so we gotta we gotta go out, look out for wolves, and slay them. Okay, strong work, everybody. Um. Meanwhile, while they're slaying wolves, notice what we see right in the backyard of the burrows. 
a ruin, an Arnorian ruin, right? Easy to tell Arnorian ruins. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. There it is. There it is, right? Star of the Dunedain, right? Seven-pointed star. Dead giveaway. Right, this is the star of the Dunedain. Uh, and uh, uh, and this business up here, I think, this is like the scepter of Anuminus, right? Um, that's been my theory, and I'm sticking with my theory, right? Um, so, yes, uh, evidence of the old kingdom of Arnor uh, that used to be here. And notice down there, too, there used to be an Arnorian uh, wall down there across the river was this like a dam or something it's a little hard to me there's a tower over there on the other side a watchtower on the other side of the river i think we were looking at that from downstream a ways um anyway so uh oh it's okay i'm good i got plenty of opals so um yeah anyway so i, I love the and this this by the way this strikes me not just as a, a sort of an interesting shire thing but even it's like a kind of it's it's like um I don't know. In America, we're unused to this kind of thing, right? But this is the kind of thing that happens in Europe all the time. Uh, to have in your backyard, like, ruins from hundreds of years ago, um, you know, it's a kind of thing that you can see, right, that'll go on uh, in a place like England or a place like, you know, or, or, or in the rest of Europe. In America, we don't get that same thing quite so much, but uh, I, I just love the idea of this Arnorian ruin here, in the back pasture, right? And then probably using it to, to, to keep their cows in line. Okay. Anyway, thanks. We killed a bunch oh, of wolves here. Hey, if there's something queer about these wolves and you've only begun to, what's, what's queer about them? Oh, I would love a Bulger's hooded cloak. Thank you. Dear okay. me, please don't leave yet. Okay. A few nights ago, you heard a great ruckus. There were wolves fighting among themselves out at the old ruins. Nary a hobbit dared stray out of their holes all night. Soon after... Oh, there's a wolf, uh, like, attacking us currently. Thank you, somebody, for doing something about that. Uh, okay. Nary a hobbit dared stray out of their holes. Soon after the racket died down, a good number of wolves charged through the town, right down the middle of the street, if you believe it, and disappeared off into the west. My wife, Linda, was caught outside when the wolves came through. None of them so much as looked at her. If you go back to Budgeford and talk to Linda, she might be able to figure out what's going on. The town's just... Okay, right. We, we just are. Uh, the wolves got me worried something terrible. Someone's... Got me worried something terrible. Someone's likely to get it. Okay. So we got to go back and talk to... Hey, somebody leveled up. Uh, we got to go back and talk to... Uh, talk to Linda again. Um, okay, so so these wolves are... So it's it's already strange that there are wolves packs of wolves like this in the Shire, right? Um, and strange and alarming, alarming in like a, you know, a, a historic way, right? Again, like the ancient, like the bad old days are coming again, right? That's totally how they, how they think of it, how they would think of it. Um, but it's not only that, even for wolves, these are, these are weird wolves, like they're acting strangely. Um, okay, tell us more about it, Linda. What do you want? Yeah, he told us about the wolves passing through Budgeford. Okay, uh, you were a short way out of town when I saw a huge wolf standing on a hilltop. He seemed to be digging in the soil of the hill with his great paws. Then it leaped down the hill and was gone. So it was digging? Okay. Um, 
I said, my dog digs for rabbits. I wonder if that's what he's doing. And moles. Oh, she loves digging for moles. Probably a mole. I started on my way home as fast as I could, but as I neared the edge of Budgeford, at least a dozen wolves came running right through the middle of town. Okay, but it just ran on like you weren't there at all. Hmm. So wolves attacking the town would be alarming, but at least that would be natural. Notice how at the beginning she was thinking about them wanting to hunt hobbits or pigs, right? Um, that would be alarming, right? But that would at least be wolves acting their normal wolfish way. This is strange. This is different. Um, I think it, it might have something to do with the wolf you saw on the hilltop. It was the Yale height. You're sure of it. That's to the southeast of here. Uh, way down across the stock road, not far northeast of Woodall. Okay, we know just where the Yale height is. We passed near it before. Uh, the wolf was standing by the three pillars atop the hill. You might find something there. Okay, we have to go search the Yale height for uh, whatever this wolf was up to, uh, digging in the ground over there. So, okay. Um, so we're crossing the ford and heading to the Yale height. Oh, uh-oh. Oh, no! I'm trapped! Oh, dear. Okay. Phew. Hey. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sorry, I'm frozen. Okay. Phew! All right. That... <laughs> Why do I keep getting stuck in the river? Yeah, I'm, st I'm stuck, too. This is not just you. Yeah? Is this a server issue? Yeah, I think it's just lag. There we go. Okay, I'm free. You unstuck? Yeah. Um, oh, no. Intermittently unstuck. <laughs> oh, dear. We're crashing the server. Here we come! Sort of. To the Yale height, kind of. So there's the Yale height with the uh, with pillars. Okay, I'm on the move again. All right. Um, the Yale, by the way, uh, is on Tolkien's maps. Um, so he, uh, he indicated that the Yale was an area, uh, and it's right, right, right here near the Green Hill country, near the Marish. Um, but, uh, I, we have no idea what, so the Yale height, I don't recall being specifically mentioned. Um, but, um. Okay. Oh, I see. And here we have the. Uh... Okay, let's see. Do we find the spot where we have to search? Oh yeah. Somebody's kind of standing right in it. I think. I can't yeah. See it. Yeah, it's going to disappear and come back. So oh, if I see. you all have, if anybody has the. Let Corey grab it the next time it comes up, and then the rest of us will get it. There you go. Oh, wait, where is it? Oh, there it is. Hang on. Aha! Oh, the, the, oh, it's just sitting there on the ground, right? The rune-inscribed collar. Okay, I'll back off now. I'm going to to get it. Okay, so there's a rune-inscribed collar on the ground, and that's what, so he was not digging something up. He was burying something. I see. Okay. Okay. Um... These pillars, though, you've got to wonder, right? Was there a fourth one? Or were there just the three? The spacing of them suggests, right, they, they, they totally look quadrilateral, which means that the, you know, the other one would have been like over here, 
or something. That seems like a really bad place to have built one. Is there a fallen column? There is! Oh, would you look at that. Okay, so clearly this hill has been eroded, right? So the fourth... Look at that. I deduced there would be a fourth column, and there it is, having slipped off and fallen to the ground. So, yeah, okay. So this part of the hill crumbled, and that column fell off. So this was four columns before the fourth one fell off, uh, holding up... I don't know what they were holding up. What would this have been? Not a watchtower, right? Because that's what the watchtowers look like, like the stock tower and that other tower across the way that we were looking at before. Oh, look, you can see, you can see a, a, a buckland from here, right? There's Brandy Hall. Um, so maybe this was like an Arnorian picnic area, right? Maybe this is where, like, um, you know... Arnorian folks would come, like, maybe they would, like, reserve this pavilion for family gatherings and that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, so, uh, so, they, uh, they put a hill here, uh, in Lotro and called it the Yale Height. Um, what are the, th one of the reasons that I wonder if, if they did that? There are sort of few places where you can look down over the East Farthing. Um, you'll remember Tolkien's described that in several places about them looking down and sort of seeing the Marish lying underneath them and, and the forest on beyond. Um, uh, so I kind of like the Yale height. There's the Marish down there, right? I think that's uh, Farmer Maggot in that general direction. But anyway, so we found, so there was a collar, a rune-inscribed collar. Uh, so I guess we better... Uh, until more wolves and uh, before more wolves and bugs start materializing here and attacking folks. Um, everybody get the collar? Everybody, everybody get the collar who needs the collar? Okay. And we'll, we'll, we'll head back to Linda Bulger and tell her about this collar that we found. It's a rune inscribed collar. By the way, this is Woodhall, the village of Woodhall. If I remember correctly, yes, I do. Under the hill here, some very large trees, right? Nice little... Remember, it's down in a valley that we're looking out over the lights of Woodhall, right? Okay, anyway, so sorry. We're not going to... Nothing to see here. We're just... I just want to point out that that's where Woodhall was. Um, so we're going to go back to Budgeford and tell Linda about this collar. Now... What can we already infer from this collar, right? What's exactly going on here? Well, um, the um, the fact that it has... So it's a collar which the wolf was burying. So this wolf had a collar which it, what, took off and disposed of the evidence, right? It's kind of what it's looking like here. Um, and... Uh, the fact that it's inscribed with runes is, of course, interesting and significant, right? So this was a magic collar. Almost got stuck in the river again. It's just the river? Oh, no! I'm rubber banding into the river! Oh, no! Okay. I succeeded in crossing the river. And I failed in my first attempt to jump into the pigsty. Hello, pigs! Okay. We're back. Linda Bulger here. Okay, found a collar. 
Gracious you. Okay, this is a collar, right? Who could possibly be strong enough to put a collar on a wolf like the one I saw that night, much less want to? Okay, so we are, uh, the mind is boggling at the idea of anybody who would have both the power and the desire to collar a wolf like that. Truly it does. Um, I guess I, I love the way that things sort of escalate here, right? The idea of na- of perfectly normal and natural wolves invading the Shire, again, is a matter of legend for the hobbits. And now them being confronted, or at least Milo and Linda being confronted with the, the, the idea of, A, there's this other wolf who's bigger and more fierce than the other wolves, right? And he seems to be making the wolves act strangely. There was fighting among them, and then he, like, what, called the wolves, and they ran through the town after him, ignoring all the pigs and hobbits? Right? Would have been alarming for them to try to eat the pigs and hobbits, but even worse, right, is for them to be acting, so they're, they're what, like, enslaved or something by this big dominant wolf, and now he's he had a collar on, so he was the instrument of something. So now we're imagining this whoever it is, right, that could have uh, put a collar on a wolf like that and who would want to have a collar on it? Okay. Um, I can't read the letters that are inscribed on the collar, but they sure look unpleasant. I bet they are. Listen me. Will you hear me out? They say that elves sometimes pass through the Shire on their way to the White Towers or to the sea, or so the old tales go, if you care for such things. My husband says he spoke with an elf camped in the forest near Woodhall to the southwest. They say elves know a lot about old writing and such. Perhaps if my Milo wasn't seeing things that weren't there, that elf might be able to read the letters. Woodhall is south of Bunchford, and the elf was supposedly camped on the hill overlooking the town. I hope he'll be able to help. I don't mind saying I'm simply terrified of the wolves. Okay, let's go find an elf near Woodhall who might be able to help us read the rooms. Okay, so um, all right, let's see if I can clear the water here. All right, past one branch, past another branch. Okay, all right, didn't get stuck in the ford this time. Um, so notice that, so I, again, I love the fact that, you know, having already been confronted by something which is at first an object of legend, right? Namely packs of wolves, right? Hobbit legend anyway. Um, and sort of accepting that, right? Um, now they're invoking other legends. Like, you know, so there are these stories about elves crossing the Shire. Now, maybe Linda Bolger wouldn't have been one to take those seriously. She seems a little, uh, a little uh, skeptical. Um, but uh, let's see. Oh, right. Here, I know where I am. I'm on the hill just up. There's the bandits over here, right? Yeah, okay. Um, which means that uh, there's Woodall down in the valley. And here is the abandoned elf camp. Now, um, of course, we don't really get the full wood hall here, right? The real wood hall, the elvish wood hall. Um, I do think that in the game world, this is supposed to be the place where Gilder's uh, uh, party was. Um, It's not a very faithful representation of it. They don't really do the whole secret elf path thing and and the wood hall, right? We don't really get the wood hall here, uh, the, the real wood hall. But anyway. How can I be of service? You are Orthir of Rivendell. It is not often that I entertain guests at this place. 
um, but pretty much a, quite a bit recently. Huh? What is it that you would have uh, you examine? Okay, right. Oh, yeah, the collar, right. Evil letters. But I will read them if it brings understanding. The runes inscribed on the collar identify this creature as a great chieftain of wolves, a warg of Angmar named Laugfoot. If Laugfoot has broken free of his collar, it is likely he thinks to serve himself rather than his former masters. I do not doubt that the warg was sent forth on some evil errand, but now it seeks to cause some evil on its own behalf. Might you spare a moment of your time? Oh dear, okay. So even apart from his masters, this warg is too dangerous to remain unhindered in this land. He has certainly asserted himself as the leader of the local wolf pack, which means he's become an even greater threat. You should gather allies and seek him out among his pack, but an end to this threat, uh, put an end to this threat as quickly as possible when the deed is done. Speak to the hobbit Linda Bulger. Okay. He'll be a dangerous foe, but he cannot be allowed to remain so close to so many peaceful hobbits. He has already bought, brought great fear to the land, and it is only the beginning of the harm he may cause. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, we can... Uh, We'll, we'll take care of this. So we'll head back to Linda Bulger. Um, so again, you notice how how this is all being managed here, right? Um, how Linda and Milo as these representative hobbits, right? Um, notice like it's this is not like an awakening for the whole countryside or anything by any stretch, right? It's just Linda and Milo who are having this experience and who are coming into... Um, you know who are who are who are coming to encounter um, these things, which you know both first wolves, right, then wargs, and now elves, right, seeking help from elves to understand the magic runes inscribed on the collars of wargs, right, and all these things that they didn't um, they didn't expect or understand, uh, and now that they are they're sort of confronting, right. So notice how the wide world, which uh, um, you know, which they sort of denied, right, or wouldn't have thought very much about, uh, is sort of intruding upon these small, peaceful, you know, farmer folk uh, here in Budgeford. Um, and yet, how they're rising to the occasion, right? We have her, um, you know, we have Linda um, as, you know, the one who has not only sort of identified, um, let's see, where, where are we here? This is it, right? Hi there, wolves. Bugfoot, the warg, is somewhere around here. A bunch of wolves. Hey, I was briefly under attack. He's prowling around here somewhere. After we're going to need to wait for him to reset a couple times, I think, and we're going to have to kill him three or four times. Yeah, guess I'll dismount. Oh, look at that! Signum, you killed him. There you go. Good eagle. Good eagle. Okay. Um. This is the right area for him, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. This den here. This is the den of the wolves where Loudfoot has taken command. How often does he respawn? He's not wandering around the hillsides, is he? No, he just does a circle around this area. So, okay. And I think, he, I think he responds pretty quickly. Okay. All right, so I have to wait for him to come up again. 
Oh, and a bear too. Look at that. Um. <laughs> All right, we got bears, we got eagles. Got the whole panoply here. Got a ghost bear. We got a saber-toothed tiger. So there's a regular wolf. Another regular wolf. Yeah, the other wolves are coming back. Yeah, that's just a regular wolf. Anyway, like I said, I really enjoy how this quest line escalates. Um, and... Uh, uh, and of course, like I said, the way you notice, not only did, um, not only do, you know, the Bulgers, Milo and Linda sort of rise to the occasion and they, you know, they take on themselves the, um, the protecting of, you know, the, the, the people and, um, uh, the town, right? Um, oh, was that him? Was that him who was just killed over here by this big rock? Anyway. I didn't see. Oh, Tough 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 Garth says, oh, no, I don't know if that's for us or not. Somebody said yes. <laughs> Somebody said yes about oh. something. Somebody just uh, leveled up. Yay. Um, <laughs> he should be. He should. People in the same fellowship should get uh, credit for him. So. Right. Oh, there he um, is. Oh, there he is. Oh, dear. Yay, I tapped in on him, I believe. Yep, oh, and my eagle just killed him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all right, Signum, you took him down. There we go. Okay. Well, that's at least the second time, possibly the third, that we've killed him since we've been here. Um, yes, normally this is, not, this is not a quest for quite as many people as this. Um... But uh, cool. anyway, so yeah, so but anyway, what I was what I was in the middle of saying was, not only do Milo and Linda, you know, respond very bravely and very intrepidly, really considering, um, but they also um, notice how the elves how the elf responds, right, um, and how the elf doesn't say like, yes, we need to take things, and oh, here he is again. Okay, um, and so I hope that gave everybody a chance to get in. Um, but anyway, so, you know, not only do the elves not like they, they notice how they don't take a, a simply like paternalistic view towards the hobbits, right? Like, you know, you and I know the real world and these poor, ignorant, sheltered hobbits, like, you know, we must save them, uh, you know, or else, you know, they won't be able to, like, we do need to defeat the warg because the warg is too much for them to handle. 
Um, but then he sends us back to report to Linda, not to him, right? Uh, you know, and to reassure her that things are safe now and that the the thing that she started has been finished, you know, and that their their vigilance and uh, on behalf of the town has uh, has sort of paid off. Oh, gracious me! That's right. We slew the great evil-looking wolf. No problem. Um, oh, that's very nice. Sheriff's leggings. I would be honored to have sheriff's leggings. Absolutely. There we go. Um, so anyway, I think, you know, th- there are several other quests that do similar kinds of things. Um, we can see, you know, this is not exactly an invasion of dragons, uh, but it is, an in, uh, you know, the invasion of a, of a warg from Angmar. Uh, you know, so we get some... We get some glimpses of both sides of the outside world, right? Both of the uh, the enemies which are encroaching and which could, if things go badly, right, could end up overrunning the Shire. Uh, and then you get also, of course, the allies who are around that not everybody knows about or thinks about, um, namely the elf, right, up on the hilltop over there, right, who is obviously perfectly willing to help, um, but quite surprised uh, to meet with us, Um because he doesn't usually encounter that many people. So, anyway, all right. Well, I should let everybody go. Uh, We're running late again here, as usual, but thanks for joining me on my field trip here today and for our class here tonight. And uh, I look forward to next week starting into the strange new world of Chapter 4 of Fellowship of the Ring. So next week in in class number 15, off to Chapter 4. And uh, 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 Maven, remind me, which, uh, which server are we on next week? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Um, let me do- uh, let me double check really quick. I think it's Gricolo. Okay. Let me just double check real quick. Right. Um, you you asked me, and of course, it immediately just leaves my head. Eighteenth. Right? <laughs> I couldn't remember Gr- either. Gricolo, Gricolo, and also the week after that, just for folks to know, the week after that, there's no class. That's right. Gone, so. Yeah, I'll be gone the week after. Um, Gricolo next week. Gricolo next week. Yeah. Right. And then that'll be our last class for a couple weeks. Right. Um, and yes, normal time, 9.30 p.m. Normal time. Yeah. yeah, normal time. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.